How many churches in America this morning people walked into? Na 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 na. Na na. Right. Not many. Yeah. This this song, among others, is what's our spiritual caffeine for the week. That's right. It's one of the it's one of the five songs that our that our kids will be learning uh, learning at camp and and doing motions for and the rest years of to come. Try remembering. Oh my yeah. word, the motions! I always laugh. I mean, I am not. I was not granted the spiritual gift of motions. It just doesn't happen. I love watching them, all that, but boy, I, I tried doing them, and it's just a, it's a disaster. So that song, though, meaningful line in there, what if today is the last day I've got? And, and I think when, as we work through the morning, it, it fits so beautifully with the theme of, of, of the entire day because I, I think God calls us, God calls us to live as if this is it. And what are we waiting for? Why are we preserving? Why are we holding on? Jump into whatever God is calling you to do. So you received your um, morning update, and, or, or morning weekend update mm -hmm. yesterday and had some good stuff in there. You know that we're in this uh, summer dive, we're calling it, on 2 Timothy, digging into that. And one of the pieces of that is to spend some time listening to it. So you've done, you've done the listening. Yeah, and I... I with all the driving that I have to do back and forth from Frankfurt to Shanghai, you, you find that you listen to a lot of weird things. So it's good to, to, fill, that, to fill that space with, with something good. And what I like to do, um, since you've been encouraging us to listen to it at least once a week, I've been the doing... The entire letter. So yeah. 13 minutes, 13 four chapters. A yep. whole lot of time. Yep. Yeah. Um, no, I, I've been listening to it each day or each time that I drive but I'm listening to a different voice each time. One of the great things about Dwell is that they have different voice options, and you can underlay music and do other things uh, and to mix it up, but listening to a different voice every time makes a, a meaningful impact because we all know that there are certain voices in our lives, parents to kids or kids to parents and teachers, that we like to tune out. So if you listen to the same voice over and over and over again, it's not a bad thing. But sometimes I think it helps to, to switch the voice to, to know who or to know what you're listening to, to make the active decision. Yes, I'm going to choose to listen to this. Um, and hearing it from that, from that different, uh, the different voice helps it to sink in more. Even listening is a different voice. Right. Because I would dare say that the majority of us grew up reading the Bible, not hearing the Bible. So having that chance to hear the words you know, going through one-year Bible again, listening to it, wow, it just, it, wait, it, it brings it to life in a way that doesn't happen when I'm reading. I'm far more of an auditory learner than a visual learner, and so hearing it is helpful. So at least once a week, if you would, listen to the whole letter, four chapters, 13 minutes. I think you can even speed it up mm -hmm. if you need to, you know, talk little Mickey Mouse voice. So, but <laughs> but hear, hear what the Word of God has to say. Uh, we're offering, again, the opportunity next Sunday and uh, Labor Day Sunday, those two out outdoor services, to get baptized. Some of you have already signed up for that. You'll, some, will be con some have been contacted. Some will be contacted during this week uh, to go ahead and do those baptisms next week, whether the pool here at church or the river. Mm -hmm. Both options are open. So if you're looking to uh, proclaim your faith that way, make sure you jump in. Uh, the place is Camp Transformed right now. You pulled up, you saw the tent, you saw the fencing. Right now, there's, a, there's a, an inflatable BB gun range going up down in the detention area that we'll be able to use all these different opportunities. We try to give kids 
things to do that they don't always necessarily do in normal life and giving those so everything from tree climbing to just going to be a lot of a lot of fun throughout the week a lot of things to do yeah uh can't can't wait to get in on that but our we like to keep our our leaders well fueled and so there's some food items there in that in that particular update that you can you couldn't bring them today obviously you're sitting here now but during the week between nine and three you can come drop those off so one of the clarifications i was told to make with the the baked or personal items that you that you make it doesn't need to be some big cake boss worthy creation you know there's no yeah. contest for the the best decorated muffin or whatever uh cupcake uh but if you if you enjoy if that's a way that um if baking and cooking things is is a way that you uh, enjoy serving people, then then go ahead, bring those cookies, bring those brownies anytime throughout the week, because that's really just going for, for something extra, a little sustenance for our, our team who's given up a, a week of work to, to be with our kids. So, Shell, you want to bring your gang up here? We'll, we're we're going to be singing in just a moment, but um, we're, the, as, as, um, as a week of, weeks of activity, whether it's Green Lake or, or camp go on and all, all that gets mashed into that, uh, real life continues to happen too, and uh, recently Eileen Mother's, I, I did the first service too, Eileen Miller's mother passed away, and this afternoon from 1 to 5 uh, at the funeral home in Plainfield will be the visitation for that, and then a funeral tomorrow, so you can click on that link if you want to know more of the details uh, of where the funeral will be, and again, just that reminder that next Sunday we're outside, it's at 10 o'clock, so that moves you up a half hour earlier, but 10 o'clock uh, next Sunday outside. Bring your lawn chair, bring your blanket, and bring your spirit ready to, to do some fun worship outside. One thing that we forgot to mention in the first service, and it's not like, you know, the end of the world or anything, but you have a 25-year-old today. Oh, my goodness, yes. The, yeah. the youngest yeah. half uh, is, yeah. uh, has officially crossed the quarter of a century mark. So Which the fun, birthday, Nate. the fun part about <laughs> Nate's birthday is that it's also Dale Hansen's birthday. Yeah. Yeah. They're both born the same day, and, and Dale's a year away from a decade flip. I won't tell you which, but, <laughs> but he's excited about 30. So um, <laughs> anyway, he's, uh, yeah, they both share that day, but yeah, happy birthday, Nate. I, I, I don't know if you'll watch now, but I know you will, so... Um, we, this series that we're in, um, I, really inspired by what happened at Green Lake, I wanted to do the deep dive into a book of uh, uh, one of the letters of Paul. We were looking at Second Corinthians, and then, and then after after that time away, uh, really shifted again my my mindset to Second Timothy. Second Timothy was a meaningful book for me as as a young person, and really has been all of my life. Um, when, when, you, when you introduce the theme verse to us, God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but power, love, and self-discipline. I was reminded of uh, being a kid away at the camp I served at in the Adirondack Mountains for three summers. And there was a guy that came in, a Bible teacher, and he taught that book. And uh, he, was, he was cool, a little short guy. And uh, he was in the Navy, World War II. So he just had a lot of bluster. And, and, and he was easy to pay attention to. And, and the, the series he did, he called it Timely Tips for Timid Timothy and Troubled Times. I mean, I remember that. I was 15 years old, and I remember, uh, remember that. But I, as he broke down that verse in particular, I remember sitting there and, and, and really wishing for a change in my life, longing for a change in my life. Because up till then, I would, I would have described myself as a, as a fearful, timid person. And I knew God was calling us to, to courage and to power 
And, and, and it really bugged me that, that I had that, that propensity inside of me to lean, into, to lean into weakness and that side and to hear that God didn't give me that spirit of fear and timidity. God gave me a spirit of power, love, and self-discipline. And those are really, those are themes that I've, that I've worked my whole life. And so um, I, I love that you brought that. I thought it was important for us to hear that today, especially you know, my goodness, the events of this past week, I promise you, there are many of us in this room that never dreamed that Friday would happen. We never dreamed it. We, we've thought about it. We've longed for it. We've prayed for it for literally a lifetime, prayed for a change uh, to, the, to the abortion laws of our country. And, and, now, and now we're in this spot that, you know, there's, there's an uprising based on that. And it's more than ever, believers in Christ are going to have to be bold and courageous. We need that courage. And so today, uh, we're going to be leaning into a story that talks about the power that God gives us. But before we do, we're going to go to communion. And today, I just want you to use communion as a chance to say, thank you, Father God. Thank you, Father God, for what you've done in our country. Thank you, Father God. And Illinois isn't there yet. But you know what? God can do anything. He can. And we will continue to pray to that end. So as you go to receive communion today, just say thank you to God as we listen to these words of song. It takes courage to follow Jesus. Please don't misunderstand me. Courage is not this, you know, obnoxious bravado that's just kind of in everybody's face being a jerk. It takes courage to follow Jesus. Coworker asks you, what did you do this weekend? I went to church. It takes courage to say that out loud, especially in a, in a secular culture. It takes courage to own the truth of the word of God. When so much of our life, our, our world is turned toward paganism, and we say, no, this is, this is what the Bible says. And you say that out loud to someone who thinks that the Bible is full of fairy tales. It takes courage to speak, to live in a way that demonstrates that you're a Christ follower. It takes courage for an adult to step into baptism waters and say, I'm a follower of Jesus. It takes courage to do that. God has not filled us with a spirit of timidity. He's filled us with a spirit of, of power and love and self-discipline. Courage is needed to walk this walk. And today we're going to talk about that courage, that courage that comes from a spirit of power. When the Apostle Paul is, is breaking down these words for Timothy, he uses a word to describe power. He uses the word dunamis. You can hear it in there. You can hear dynamite. You can hear something explosive. You can hear something full of power. He knows this about Timothy that Timothy has this propensity toward timidity. He pulls the punch. He doesn't speak the hard truth all the time. He, he holds back a little bit in fear. And Paul is anything but timid, but it's not about his personality. It's about the fact that he's been filled with the Spirit of God. And that Spirit of God is a spirit of power and love and self-discipline. Paul says, that we are to be people who are filled with a spirit of power. And so today, as we look at not living in fear, not living in timidity, what does it mean to live in a spirit of power? And to do that, we're going to look at a, a great story in the Old Testament, the first part of the Bible, the first half of the Bible. King Saul is the first king of all of Israel. 
And if he has one characteristic that stands out, it is this. He is a grade-A coward. The guy is always living in fear. He's always living in timidity. The very first time we're introduced to him publicly, it's this moment. I don't know if you watch the sound of music. You know, the Von Trapp family singers, and nobody comes out from the curtain. They announce King Saul, and he doesn't come out from the curtain. He's hiding under the coats. He's afraid. And we see him again and again hiding. David and and Goliath, Goliath is screaming, Saul is hiding. In the story we're looking at today, he's hiding under a tree. He's always hiding, he's always fearful. And he shouldn't have been, even just a natural talent, he shouldn't have been. The Bible tells us he stood a head taller than everybody in the nation, that he was one of the best looking guys around. Everybody thought natural born leader, but he had no power He had no dynamite. He had no courage. You remember the story of David and Goliath. Why did David have to step up? He's he's the age of one of the students in our church, you know, 17, 18-year-old kid. Why does he have to step up? Well, when Goliath is issuing his taunts, here's what the Bible says, that Saul and all of Israel heard this, and they were terrified and deeply shaken. What you don't want to hear from your national leader is, we have good reason to be scared. You want to hear courage. You want to hear somebody that believes we can conquer this. In this case, you want to hear that they believe in God. But instead, Saul is terrified. They hide for 40 days. Finally, David comes along and he's like, what's going on? Why are we not taking this guy down? He offers his services. I killed a lion. I killed a bear with my bare hands. And on top of all that, this guy is taunting the Lord God of heaven. Somebody needs to stop this. Jonathan is Saul's number one son. When Saul dies, Jonathan will be king. But there's a problem because David has now been anointed king. And so when David comes on the scene, he knows David has been anointed king. He knows when Saul dies, he's not going to be the one to take over. And there should be an immediate rivalry here. But instead of a rivalry, there is a deep affection. There is deep love between these two men. Why is that? I think it's because when Jonathan saw David take on Goliath, he saw that and he said to himself, finally, someone like me. He was weary of living in a nation full of cowards. He was weary of the wimpiness of his father. He wanted a friend just like him, a person of courage, a person of power, a person of dynamite. You know, we often think of David and Goliath as the epic battle of the Old Testament. And it's true. It's a huge battle, no doubt. But Jonathan has his own moment even before the David and Goliath event. The story of David and Goliath takes place in 1 Samuel chapter 17. And the story we're going to look at today happens a few chapters earlier in chapter 14. So let's set the stage. The Philistines are the arch enemy of Israel. You may not have an image of of Israel in your mind, but just to kind of help, if you can get an image of, of the American map, the land of Philistia would be, would be kind of, it would be that area down Southern California, the Baja Peninsula, okay, that if in, in relationship. It's down over in, in that part of their nation. And this group of people are constantly 
tormenting the Israelites. Every time there's a problem, it seems like the Philistines are the middle of it. If this, if this was Star Trek, these are the Klingons, all right? There's just always a battle going on with this particular group. They're like gnats flying around the head. Just You're swatting them away, and they won't go away. They keep bugging the people of Israel. And, and the intensity rises because of Saul's cowardice. His cowardice leads to the Philistines controlling Israel. To set the stage in, in, in the chapter before, chapter 13, we read that, that Saul has 600 warriors with him. And the people of, Phil, the, uh, of the Philistines are dividing out into raiding parties. Some go west, some go north, some go to the border. They're going out to just raid all over the nation. The Philistines wanted to make sure that they controlled the Israelites. And so the way they controlled them is they removed all the blacksmiths from the land. So there was not a blacksmith available to hammer out a sword, to hammer out a spear, or even to make a horseshoe. If they needed things made, they had to go to the land of the Philistines in order to find a blacksmith there who would not make them a weapon of war. So this is a significant piece. Significant piece. Verse 22 says, On the day of the battle, none of the people of Israel had a sword or a spear except for Saul and Jonathan. They're the only two that have a sword. That's it. And in Saul's hand, that sword is utterly worthless. He's not going to make use of it. So Jonathan is the only one that might have a chance of using his sword. So the next chapter begins, chapter 14, and we read, One day Jonathan said to his armor bearer, Come on, let's go over to where the Philistines have their outpost. So he makes this, he makes this challenge. Let's go check it out. And we start to see something in Jonathan. It's like he's reading the verse we're studying today. Fan into flame the gift God has given you. Go ahead, fan that, fan that gift into flame. And he's saying, he's thinking to himself, why are we sitting here just waiting for whatever? I have a sword. A sword is made for war. It's made for battle. Let's go. Let's go take on the Philistines. One day, Jonathan said to his armor bearer, come on, let's go over to where the Philistines have their outpost. And it says, but Jonathan didn't tell his father what he was doing. Why? Why didn't he say something? Why didn't he tell him? Why didn't he tell him what was going on? I, here's my suspicion. He knew that if he went to his father and said, Dad, we're going to go attack the Philistines, Saul would have said something like this in Hebrew. Out of an abundance of caution, he'd have said, we can't do that. We, let's, just, let's just sit back. Let's see how it plays out. Let's stay safe here. We're bubble wrapped under this pomegranate tree. Let's stay safe. We're not going to get involved in the battle. Cowardice and action do not mix. They don't mix. Saul had 600 soldiers with him, and they're hiding like cowards under a pomegranate tree. The Bible says no one realized Jonathan left the Israeli camp. To reach the Philistine post, Jonathan had to go between two rocky cliffs, and they named the cliffs. So he's, he's going th through this pass, and he gets to the other side, and he gets down just below where the Philistine camp is. So we get these two points. Nobody knows he's gone, and it's been a treacherous journey to get to where he's going. And here's what Jonathan proposes to the only other man with him, to his armor bearer. He says, let's go over to the outpost of those pagans. Let's go. Let's check this out. He says, we're here. They're there. I have a sword. It's made for battle. Let's go pick a fight. 
Let's go pick a fight. Look at, look at the rest of what that verse says. It says, let's go to the outpost of those pagans. Perhaps the Lord will help us for nothing can hinder the Lord. Perhaps the Lord will help us. Perhaps the Lord will help us? I don't want to hear perhaps. I want to hear definitively God will rain fire from heaven and take out the Philistines. He says, perhaps the Lord will help us, which means what? Perhaps the Lord won't help us. Perhaps the Lord will let us hang out to dry. It sounds crazy. God might save us. God might not. What's stopping us? Why aren't we doing this? This attitude sounds a little bit like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in Daniel chapter 3. You remember they're told to bow before the king, and they say, no, we will not bow. They say, then we're going to throw you into a fiery furnace. And, and the men say to the king, here's the thing. You can throw us in that furnace. God could supernaturally save us. He could preserve our lives. Or God might let us flame up like a marshmallow. But we're going to stand for the truth. We're going to do what is right regardless. The issue for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego as well as Jonathan, is not that God might save me, but God is in control. He's in control, and he's called us to act, and we need to act. He controls everything. If he is in control, I can trust him no matter what happens. By the way, I didn't read the last part of that verse. Perhaps the Lord will help us, for nothing can hinder the Lord. He can win a battle, whether he has many warriors or only a few. We are learning really in this the first, the first key to, to the spirit of power, to dynamite, to fanning into this, in, the, in this flame. You've got to locate your trust. Where's your trust? What are you trusting? What do you trust in? Do you trust in yourself? Do you, do you trust in the things around you? Or do you truly trust the God of heaven? You trust that he's in control. Jonathan said, Perhaps the Lord will help us. Nothing can hinder the Lord. He can win a battle whether he has many warriors or only a few. It's like, it's like he's reading the Apostle Paul again, even though Paul hasn't written a word yet. If God is for us, who can be against us? Let's go. Let's do this. And I love the armor bearer's response. He says, do what you think is best. I'm with you completely, whatever you decide. Understand the armor bearer gets this privilege. He carries Jonathan's sword until Jonathan needs it. And then he stands defenseless. He doesn't have his own sword. He doesn't have his own weapon. He's there to assist Jonathan in the battle. And he says, do what you think is best. I'm with you, whatever you decide. And I really think this gives us the, the second component of this spirit of power that God has placed in us. It's not just where is your trust. Do you trust completely in God? But who are your friends? Who are, the, who are the prime influencers in your life? And you know, I would dare say for a lot of us, our friends are not the physical people in our lives. Our prime influencers are that beautiful television you have at home telling you what's going on in the world and what you should think. Our friends, our, our social media and all this stuff telling us what we should think, impacting, forming, every thought that we have telling us this is the way you should act. 
Jonathan is this man of courage. He's a man of courage, and he hangs around people of courage. He hangs around people who are listening to the same message from God and are willing to do the daring thing. So again, remember, there are only two swords in Israel. Jonathan has one, Saul has one, and the armor bearer doesn't get to have a sword of his own. He gets to watch, and he says, I am with you. Well, Jonathan says, let's go pick a fight. We might live, we might die, but God is in control. I trust God. Let's do this. Folks, there are two things in the world more contagious than COVID. Fear and courage. We've seen fear spread like an infection through our world in the last two years. But you know what? We've also seen courage spread. We've seen what happens when courageous people find courageous people and stand up and do what is right. Who do you trust? Who are your friends? What's influencing you? What's forming your thinking? And then the third question really comes down to this. What are you called to do? What are you called to do? And by calling, I'm not necessarily talking about about your career. I'm going to be a teacher or something like that. Everyday life, as you wake up and you're walking through the day, where are the areas God is asking you to get involved, to step in, to do something? What is the calling God has placed upon you and me? You see a problem. You feel God is calling you to act, to get involved. You know God wants you to fan that flame into a blazing fire. God is calling you. What are you going to do? What action are you going to take? And this is where the spirit of power breaks down. For a lot of people, the action point. They say they trust God. They have faith, tremendous faith. They might even have great friends, courageous friends, great influencers. But when it comes time to act, they freeze. They freeze. They hide like Saul under a pomegranate tree. Jonathan has a plan. He has a battle plan. I gotta be honest, this is where the story gets a little crazy. I think Jonathan's battle plan is totally messed up. It's crazy. He says, All right, then. We'll cross over and we're gonna let them see us. Hey, guys, we're here. <laughs> if they say to us, Stay where you are or we'll kill you, we'll, we'll stay. We won't do anything. But if they say, Come on up and fight, we will take that as a sign from God that He's given them over to our hands this day. This is a really dumb battle plan. It's just dumb. It doesn't make any sense. First in a battle, the best approach is stealth. We build stealth bombers, not noisy, loud, big bombers that say, we're here, we're here, we're here. We want to make sure that we're not noticed until the last possible moment. Jonathan's there saying, we're going to scream, yell, wave our arms. We want them to see us. And secondly, in battle, high ground is the best ground. In the old days in a battle, you had the high ground, you'd throw rocks down on people. You'd throw burning oil down on people. You're down at the bottom, all you can do is throw a rock up and have it land back in your forehead. All the way around, this strategy is just crazy. And you gotta wonder if the armor bearer isn't thinking, what in the world did I get myself into? This dude has a sword, this dude has courage, but he has a really, really, really dumb plan. You know what I've found often when I stand with courageous people? 
When they say this is the plan, you find yourself going, really? That's it? It sounds a little crazy. It sounds a little reckless. Is that really the path we should be taking? Well, they do it. They come out. They start yelling, waving their hands, letting the Philistines know they're there. And the Bible tells us that this is what unfolds. The Philistines say, look, the Hebrews are crawling out of their holes. Then the men from the outpost shouted to Jonathan, come on up here. We're going to teach you a lesson. At this point, Jonathan breaks out in praise and celebration. God's on our side. This is the best. Here we go. The battle is ours. Isn't this awesome? So they, he says, come on, climb behind me. Let's go. We're going to get to the top and we're going to defeat these guys. And they climb hand and foot all the way up to the very top. They get to the top. Their arms have got to be worn out. They don't even get to catch their breath. And the fighting begins. And it says the Philistines fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer killed those who came behind them. So after the first guy died, the armor bearer grabs a sword. Now there are two swords and they're hacking away and they killed 20 men, 20 men within a half acre area. But you know what? That's not the miraculous part of the story. It says, suddenly panic broke out in the Philistine army, both in the camp and in the field, including even the outposts and the raiding parties. All over the land, panic breaks out. And just then, an earthquake struck, and everybody was terrified. Saul looks out. He sees the Philistine army starting to melt away. He's like, what's going on? Have some of our guys gone to attack? Take roll. They find out Jonathan and the armor bearer are missing. And so he calls to the priest, bring the animal and the ephod. I've got to know what to do next. He's waiting for the priest. He sees what's happening. He says, forget the ephod. We're going. Never mind. Let's just go. We're going to start to fight. It says, Saul and all his men rushed out to battle and found the Philistines killing each other. There was terrible confusion everywhere. So the Lord saved Israel that very day. As crazy as Jonathan's plan may have been, his trust paid off. His trust in God paid off. How do you live? Do you live in courage or do you live in fear? Do you live in power or do you live in weakness? Who do you trust? Do you trust the God of heaven? Not, not that he'll save you, but that he can win the battle. Who are your friends? Who are the people that influence you? What are you called to do? This is where your gift comes in, that gift that you're stirring up. There are opportunities all around us to serve every day, to get involved, to take action. What are you going to do? Are you going to move forward in the freedom of courage or be frozen by fear? Fear freezes you. It freezes you every time. But courage frees you. It frees you to live into the calling that God has placed in your life. Fear freezes you. Courage frees you to act. Courage frees you to use your gift. I hope you don't mind that I'm going to admit this. I'm going to admit a couple of struggles I'm having in 2022. And, you know, honestly, some of you might not like what I say, but their struggles are real. The first is I have a real struggle with the word safety and the way we use it all the time. Safety in America and in an American church has become an idol. We cherish safety more than we love God. It's all about safe, all about safe. I told the kids while we were at Green Lake, we were at the old property, we had an old rickety playground, the kind that I played on in 1970 when I was a kid. 
this monkey bar thing that you climb up over the top, come down the other side. And this, and this playground uh, representative comes out to sell us the new playground. And he's trying to sell me on how safe the playground is. And we're standing at the old one. And he's, and he's talking about, oh, look at that rust. And, you know, kid climbs over this, they could get hurt. And, and I saw an opportunity because I like to play with people. And so um, he, I'm like, yeah, I remember I was in first grade. We were on one of these. My little friend, Timmy, he fell and he died. And this guy's eyes went saucer big. Boom. It's like, what? Uh, you could see him. He's ready to write it down. He's now got a story for his portfolio. I said, he did not die. We played on it, and we had fun. We played with sticks, and we liked it. We did all kinds of fun, dangerous stuff. It was fun. We had a good time doing these things. I find myself, I won't shop at Lowe's. I'm in a little bit of a boycott. During the pandemic, they played these commercials. They used the word safe 45 times in a 30-second commercial. I don't use power tools to be safe. I use a sawzall to destroy things. <laughs> I like what happens with a power tool. It's, it's not a weak tool, it's a power tool. We, we care too much about being safe all the time. Love the message uh, that Erwin McManus teach, taught on this, on this passage. And he blew up one of the lines from my childhood that I'd hear from Bible teacher after Bible teacher. They'd say something like this, to motivate us to do great things for God, the safest place to be is in the center of the will of God. It is absolutely unbiblical. Tell the Apostle Paul that the safest place to be is in the center of the will of God. We read that passage last week, right? Paul was in constant danger. The center of the will of God is not the safest place in all the world. It is the most dangerous place in all the world. We need to stop praying, God, make me safe. We need to stop praying, God, make my kids safe. We need to start praying, God, make me dangerous. God, make my children a danger to the kingdom of the world. Make my children a danger to the gates of hell. The other thing that's wearing me out about a little bit is the way we nurture and brag about our anxiety. I hear it too often. My anxiety, my anxiety, my anxiety. We act as if anxiety is the Christian norm. I hear more people talk about their anxiety these days as if it's a good thing. My anxiety, my anxiety. Hear these words written by a man in a Roman prison. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. That's a command. Followers of Jesus do not wear anxiety as a badge of honor. They don't brag about their anxiety. Now, you may be thinking, but I'm afraid. What do I do about it? You know, at Green Lake, there's this huge water tower that was built over 100 years ago. And if you go up there now, the windows are covered with chain link fencing so that you can't, like, go over and look over the edge. Several years ago, my friend Phil, who serves on the Green Lake board, was at Green Lake. He was there as a teenager. And back then, they didn't have the fence. And there was a picture of Phil and his friends sitting on the ledge, feet dangling, hundreds of feet over the ground, just dangling. I'm telling you what, fear keeps me from doing that, okay? Fear keeps me from thinking, if I jump, everything will be okay. There are parts of the fear that God has built into us to say, you know what? A human body can't do that. It won't work out well. 
But there's another incredible thing about, about fear and nervousness. It not only serves as a warning light telling us that this is not necessarily the smartest thing for a human body to do, but nerves, when harnessed, actually heighten our abilities. I got to tell you, I'm nervous every Sunday I speak. And if I'm not nervous, I'm nervous about that. Because nerves have a way of heightening our abilities. You talk to anybody involved in sports, anybody in talk to, involved in performing, anything that matters like that, and they'll tell you, there, there are butterflies in my stomach, and those butterflies help me to do my very best. We harness that nerve. We harness that energy. Courage is not an absence of fear. Courage is acting in the face of fear. It's doing it anyway. You've got to hear it again. Courage is not the absence of fear. It's acting in the face of our fears. Nerves, nerves actually help us. They focus us. Every time we play through the fear, we master our fear with courage. Courage controls fear. Too often we let fear keep us from living out our daily calling. We just, we let fear keep us from doing what we're supposed to do. Two incredible moments of courage from people in my life. One was Kim. Kim's 16 years old. It's her first day of work at Long John Silver's, which you may think is the fear, the fear factor itself, but it's not. She's at Long John Silver, she's in the back room, and she's, to, she's in the front, and she's told to come into the back room, and she, when she gets in there, there's a gunman in the room. He's robbing the store. It's her first day at work. And the guy says, get down on the ground, little girl. And if you don't know Kim, Kim doesn't like dirt, and she doesn't like grease. So she goes to lay down on the ground, but instead of laying down, she puts her hands like this, because she's not putting her face in that Long John Silver grease. And he looks at her and says, little girl, put your head down. And she went for yet another position that wasn't down. And he came over with the gun and he held it on her head and said, put your head down or I will blow it off. You know what she did the next time she was scheduled to work? She went to work. And the courageous person in this is Kim for going back to work, but honestly, the courageous people are her parents who said, yeah, go back to work. Who didn't say, you are never leaving your room again in your life. We're not taking a chance of losing you. My sister, when she went to Moody Bible Institute, lived in the, in the shadow of Cabrini-Green, little apartment building that they had built there and uh, kind of a notoriously dangerous area. And one day we were walking from her apartment building back over to the school. And as we're walking up this, up this street, there's a car parked on the side of the road. And we can see inside of the car, and, and it's just, you know, it was kind of surreal and kind of confusing. But as we look at, inside of this car, we can see a guy in the front seat, and he's just taking his arm, and he's reaching over the seat, and he's doing this. And we look, and there's a woman in the back seat. And he's just thrashing her. He is just beating on her. He doesn't even see what he's hitting. And he's just hitting her and hitting her and hitting her. And my dad, my dad does not live in Chicago, okay? North Tonawanda, New York was not a place of crime and adventure. I'm telling you what. My dad walks over to the car, open, grabs the car handle, opens the door, grabs the guy, pulls him out of the car, puts him up against the car, and holds him there until the cops come. 
you know how many people would have seen that scene and gone, man, somebody's got to do something about that? Not me. I'm not taking a chance to get involved. Those are, those are the callings God issues to us, moment by moment, day by day. And we have the choice to live in courage, to live in the power that God gives us, or to be wrapped in fear and frozen in those particular moments. What is God calling you to do? What does God want you to fan into flame? And what's standing in the way? It's possible that the main thing standing in the way right now is you. You just don't trust God that way or that much. And maybe the thing that's standing in the way is the friends and influences you've chosen to surround yourself with and the messages they're giving you, even people you love. It might even be that you just don't think you're called to do anything when in fact God is constantly making callings to you to get involved and active in his world. There's a, there's a quote of great courage that I've, I've loved through the years, ever since the first time I heard it. Some of you are familiar with it. It's a, it's a quote by uh, Teddy Roosevelt. It's called The Man in the Arena. And, and what I love about it is it doesn't just talk about moments of great victory. It says that the credit belongs not to the person who wins. The credit belongs to the person who tries. The cra- even, even if the person ends up bloodied and bruised, at least they jumped in, at least they lived out their calling. And it ends with the line, so that his place, the place of this person in the arena, shall never be with the cold and timid souls who knew neither victory nor defeat. I got to tell you, those words, those words for a person that struggled with fear and timidity, those words haunted me because I didn't want to be the person who never knew a victory or never knew a defeat because I never tried because of fear. God has given Southfield a great many heroic people, courageous people. I could go around the room and name a bunch of them. But I think in light of Friday, you need to hear about one. We have a man in our church who has committed his life to life. A man in our church and his wife who wanted to make sure that that, the kids who did not have a good home had a good home. And so they adopted children to be a part of their family. A man who Saturday after Saturday after Saturday over the last couple of years shows up in Aurora in front of Planned Parenthood and prays. Prays and offers to be a presence to anybody who might need help and who might listen. A man who's 80 years old, who I think most people would say, Terry, you're endangering yourself every time you go down there, especially now in light of the violence taking place against those who choose life and love life. But Terry Lennon stands courageously. I don't know that he would describe himself as a person of power and courage. But his actions say he is. His actions say he is. God is calling us in intensely difficult times to own the truth, hold the truth, and love the truth in the face of a world that is violent toward people who love truth. And the question comes down to this. Are you going to fan into flame the gift that God has given you? 
or are you going to embrace your spirit of fear and timidity? Are you going to fan into flame the gift God has given you because God has given you, embedded in you, a spirit of power and a spirit of love and a spirit of self-discipline? He is calling on his church not to bubble wrap themselves and wait for a better day. He's calling on us to engage in the battle now because the battle is the Lord's and he can win whether with many or few. And so, God, we pray. We pray that you will help us to realize the areas that we coddle our fears, that we nurture our anxieties, that we hold back and are frozen in the face of a calling. I pray, God, that you will help us to exercise the muscle of power, the muscle of love, the muscle of self-discipline. And as those are exercised, we would realize again and again and again that you are trustworthy and that when we act courageously, other people of courage join us and that you have callings for us all around us all the time. And you want us to act, not to watch. You want us to walk over, open the car door, and rescue the person. You want us to act. Move us to act, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Disciples are out on the Sea of Galilee. Storm is terrible. Some experienced fishermen are in the boat, and they're like, man, we are, we're going to die. Especially Matthew, the tax collector. No way this guy can swim. We're going to die. It's over. And the only thing more fearful than the storm was the ghost they saw walking toward them on the water. And the ghost cries out, it's me, Jesus. You don't have to be afraid. And Peter says, if it's you, Lord, tell me to come out of the boat and walk to you. And I wonder as soon as the words went out of his mouth, if he thought, what did I just say? Because Jesus says, hey, you stay in the boat. People can't do this kind of thing. Are you crazy? No, Jesus says, yeah, come. Come walk, come walk. And you don't see Peter in the moment kind of start to barter. Well, Lord, you know, it's kind of dark. I'd rather wait till daylight. Or could we wait until the storm calms enough so that the lake is glassy smooth? Or, or let's get into the shallow so that at least if this experiment fails, I can swim to shore really fast. He walks on the water. He gets out there and he walks on the water. Even if it was only a few steps, it's more steps than any of us have ever taken on water. He trusted. He trusted in Jesus and he walked on that water. Spirit, lead me where my trust is without borders. Let me walk upon the waters wherever you may call me. Take me deeper than my feet could ever wander, and my faith will be made stronger in the presence of my Savior. You can't sing those songs, mean it, and pray, God, keep me safe. Don't work both ways. You're either going, that's a pretty song. I love when they do that one, but ew, I don't like the message. <laughs> or he's saying, this is my prayer. We're going to be transforming this room in a few minutes into... Uh, Camp Last Resort got some failure uh, camp counselors who need to learn a lesson. And two of them in particular um, that are going to be doing this this week, when they were asked to do it, I would say one in particular when she was asked to do this this week, swallowed her tongue straight down to her toes 
and for days said, no way, and then ultimately said, yes, Lord. And she's willing to walk out on the water wherever the Spirit takes her, wherever the Spirit takes her. There's going to be a lot of that this week. There'll be a lot of people walking a little further than they thought they ever would. And in the process, they're going to realize that God is out there with them in the storm. Don't ignore his calling. Who wants to live a boring, safe life? God has called us to risk it all because after all, today might be your last day. Do you want to live with a pile of regret of what I could have done or should have done? But I love bubble wrap too much to ever try. He's calling us to be dangerous, to take on the gates of hell. You don't take on the gates of hell with a squirt gun, man. You go, you go full force. You go full force. It's a battle, so let's join it. I brought my reminder with me. We got to take down the chairs. So um, if you can stick around and do that, that would be great. If you need someone to pray with today, um, Mr. Yost will be up here at the front to spend time praying with you. We'll see you next week outside 10 o'clock.